show here on Football CFB with the main man himself, Manchester United icon, Willie Morgan. He's got his fire burning in the background there. Uh, I, I, I imagine, Willie, that you had a wonderful Christmas time. It's been fantastic. Obviously, my daughter Gaina and uh, husband Tim and my two grandkids, Alexander and Jessica, uh, they came for Christmas Day. And we had a, a lovely, it was a great day. Apart from the result, um, mind you, it was 2-1 up. So we decided to go and play a few holes, Tim and I, out the back here, as you know, onto the course. And come back. And we said, well, you know, great position. 2-2. It can be. Yeah, 2-2. But other than that, no, it's nice. You know, just thinking about other people, people who are not so lucky. And I uh, hope, I obviously hope that uh, next year is going to be better for everyone, anywhere in the world. Absolutely, well, we all happy New Year's later on. But you know, you can only hope. The situation is looking better, you know, with the vaccine, with everything coming along, and the sooner the better, and get get life back to normal. Absolutely, I think we all want a level of normality. We want to be able to do the things that we love doing without uh, being worried from time to time. One of the things, though, that I want to ask you about, because so many people have spoken about it on Twitter, these poor footballers having to play on Boxing Day, Willie, do you have any sympathy for them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've never stopped crying. I've gone through so many tissues. They're pathetic. Get on with it. They have no idea what it was like back then when we were doing it. Uh, not on these pitches either. I mean, they're playing on bowling greens and it's, they're just, my God, they're having to play three games every year. It's terrible. Very, very sad for them. Get out of here. Get a life. <laughs> well, John McGinn, who's a fellow Scot, um, was asked yesterday by Sky Sports, so I think it was Sky Sports anyway, after the Aston Villa game, they drew with Chelsea and, and the, the reporter asked them, are you very tired because you've played two games in three days? And he laughed and he said, of course I'm not tired. He said, we're very lucky that we're allowed to play these games while so many people have been furloughed from work. He said, I would play a game every day if I could. And as soon as he said it, you were the first person I thought of. I thought, Willie will love that answer. Well, it's true. You know, a lot of people make excuses for them and it's not necessarily the players who are complaining. It's the managers. Especially if they've lost. Oh, well, we've had to play two games. You know, last month we had to play two games. It's dreadful. I, my players are so tired and it's a shame. And, and I'll change their nappies at half time and put them back on. Uh, no, it's, it's great to hear someone. It's easy. I mean, that's what you train for. They're fit as anything. And you could play every day. You, you really could. You know, other than getting an injury or getting a knock, you can play every day. They're fit enough. So it's a load of it's a load of rubbish. There soon become a time now when they want 20 substitutes. They probably have 30 or 40 people on the bench uh, so they don't get too tired. Just play 10 minutes each. Uh, 
it's pathetic. Get on with it. They, they certainly have to get on with it. I agree with you. I think there's there's too many excuses out there, and you're, you're correct. I think a lot of the managers seem to be the ones who, who who make the excuses. I mean, Jurgen Klopp said he needs five subs, but he only made one sub in the last Liverpool game, and you think that that's bizarre. If you're going to complain, then at least use all the subs you've got. They, they're just looking, you know, they're looking for excuses. That's all they're doing. Um, it, back in, again, you know, I'll go back to when I was playing and Paddy and Dennis and George, there was no subs. If you got a broken leg, they, they put you on the wing and just let you lie there. They couldn't take you off because there was no subs. And you got on with it. You know, the, that's what the game was. And it, it meant that every manager played his best team every time the team went out. None of this rotation and changing and doing that and uh, tactical substitutions. What a load of rubbish. You play your best team at all times and you should play your best team unless someone gets injured. Um, now that they have substitutes, but... It, you know, it's the modern game and we have to live with it. It's part of life now. Uh, but they, I don't know, how many subs they want? Seven or eight now or something? Something crazy. It's unbelievable. They soon have another team. So play one team in the first half and the other team in the second half. So anyway, we'll let them get on with it, Callum, you know. And uh, the bright thing is that at least Man, you're a little bit further up the table. And Celtic have stopped getting beat so often, which is even better. So life's not too bad. <laughs> and in terms of um, the Christmas period, we were talking off air about the fact that it's been snowing where you are. It's been snowing down south. What was yes. it like when you were playing? Because you played in the snow, you played in the ice. What was that like when you were going through that? It was cold. <laughs> <laughs> and we we weren't allowed to, to wear mitt gloves and scarves and whatever they wear these days, bobby hats or whatever they've got on, you know, and there was no undergarments either, you know, T-shirts, you went out in your shirt and your socks and your shorts, and that was it. Good, bad or indifferent. And, I mean, you we know, that, and I think it's fantastic, by the way, they don't have to play in those conditions anymore. It's fantastic. It's great for football. It's great for everyone. Uh, the fact that we did, yeah, we played in the snow, we played on ice. The, the worst thing was when it was icy because then they would spread sand on the pitch uh, so that you could play. But unfortunately, it was rough sand. It wasn't the sand off the beach. It was full <laughs> of grit. And when you when you fell or you got it was horrendous. It used to rip you wide open. I mean, we'd come in with cuts and scrapes and all sorts from. Uh, so another thing, of course, the, if you look at the old matches on YouTube, the mud, the mud we played in, and I think I've said before the worst pitch in Britain for mud was Derby's. It was horrendous. It was about three feet deep. Came up to your came up to your waist. <laughs> it was terrible, but you know, I I think I, 
it's fantastic for football that they don't and footballers that they don't have to play that anymore, and rightly so. One of the things that I watched over the festive period was a fantastic documentary made by Sky about Dennis Law. It was called The Lawman. You feature yeah. in the documentary. It was an incredible watch about Dennis's career from start to finish. What was yeah. Dennis Law like as a character? We all know he was a world-class talent, one of the best players to ever play the game. But what was he like as a character? Because in the show, he came across as quite the cheeky chappy. He was always up for a laugh, which I quite liked. Dennis was... Uh... The first time I ever saw Dennis, to divest just slightly, was I, when I joined Burnley as a 15-year-old. They were playing Manchester City at Manchester, in Manchester, and they had to win to win the English First Division, you know, in those days, the Premier League back then. And Dennis was playing that night. It's the first time I saw Dennis playing for Man City, obviously. And Burnley beat them 2-1 to win, to win the championship, to become the champions. And then, of course, I mean, he was a great finisher, fantastic finisher, Dennis. is uh, a guy, he was lovely. He is lovely. He was a tea jenny. He loved a cup of tea. <laughs> you know, there are a few others like to maybe, you know, pint of beer or a glass of wine. <laughs> Dennis was a tea jenny. Um, and on a Friday after after training, every Friday or after training, uh, the reason on the Friday because during the week we trained at the uh, at the training ground at the cliff, and then on a Friday we trained at Old Trafford, and all you did was do a couple of laps, have a bath, and then Mrs B, she had the little little tea room up in the stands hidden away, and. Uh, I remember getting invited up there with, by Dennis. And there was Dennis, Paddy, Alex Stepney, and Bestie. And they used to go and have a cup of tea with Mrs. B before they, before they all went home. And I said, I was very fortunate to get invited into the gang to have a cup of tea on a Friday morning after training. So Dennis just a nice guy, you know, great player, obviously. And his wife died and all his kids, you know, like the brooms, you know, you've got five kids. Um, great guy. He's a good golfer. Unfortunately, uh, he doesn't play anymore. And I only see him occasionally. I mean, we live fairly close, but um, I see him occasionally. But no, you, you don't like Dennis, you don't like anybody. Uh, he's just a nice person. Even though he's from Aberdeen, Callum. He's still a nice person. <laughs> I'm sure the folks from Aberdeen will be delighted that you've said that, Willie. <laughs> Some from Aberdeen that are different, um, but no, Dennis is great. Um, in terms of questions, we've got so many questions um, from across the globe, as always. Our first question comes from Buffalo, New York. It's from Stephen Brandt. Stephen wants to know, what was it like playing in the old NASL in America? Uh, Steve and I, I first came in 1977 and joined Chicago Sting. Um, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Don't forget we played in the summertime, the American summertime. We'd come out in May after our season and then obviously come back uh, September. 
And I, I, I just loved the whole thing about America, the American fans, uh, the way they presented everything. It was great. It was a fabulous experience. I said, I ended up spending four years there and nearly came back to take over the management of Minnesota. Uh, but it was just too big a wrench to take the kids out of school uh, over here, obviously, and go there. But I nearly did. I loved it. I loved just everything about it, the, the whole lifestyle. So yeah, and, it was, and there were a lot of great players. I mean, we had, they had the greatest players from all over the world, from South America, Europe, England, everywhere. They just had the greatest players playing there. And of course, the greatest of them all at that time, Pele. So no, it's, uh, I would like to go back and do it again. In fact, when I was there, Stephen, they, they did a documentary on me before we were playing, uh, they used to do a documentary for half time because the half times in America were like 20 minutes. I mean, it wasn't like it is here. And they came and filmed for, I think it was NBC, a guy called Jim McKay. Um, and they filmed for a week. And uh, they showed it, we were playing the New York Cosmos. And uh, they showed the, the documentary at half time. I've never seen it, obviously, I was playing at the time, and I often wonder if it's on YouTube somewhere, so I'd love to see it. Uh, I actually got a hole-in-one while they were filming me, even though, you know, I was down with a golf club. And uh, so, yeah, so I'd love to see it. But, yeah, I loved it. Loved America. Loved everything about it. Here's a question for you, Willie. I've just come up with on the spot. What's a better feeling, scoring a goal or getting a hole-in-one at the golf? Oh, well. Um, oh, my God. Callum. <laughs> I, I, I mean, different. It's a different feeling. Obviously, when you get a hole-in-one, invariably, there's only three other people there with you. Scoring a goal at Old Trafford, there were six to three and a half thousand people watching you and cheering. Kind of different feeling, both were great. I, I was very fortunate. I, I've had six hole-in-ones in my lifetime. Wow. The first, the first one was where I play, still play at the Mir, um, where Samat got his only ever hole-in-one at the Mir <laughs> as well. Different hole, different part three. So uh, his was on the 12th and mine was on the 14th. Um, I think I think scoring a goal is, is very, very special. Depends what it is. I mean, if we win 7 0 and I got the eighth goal, then okay, it didn't matter too much. But I remember scoring one against Liverpool. It was 0 0 at Old Trafford. I think 1968 or 69. There's only a few minutes to go. And Paddy Crown put me through. And I scored the winner. We won one nil. And the the feeling, I mean, obviously the fans were phenomenal. And the feeling is fantastic. So I think scoring a certain type of goal, yeah. 
One of the things that um, I find interesting about yourself, Willie, I, I, funnily enough, I, I was talking to Gaynor about this a, a few days ago. I was watching a, a clip of you on an old documentary that was on YouTube, and you talk in the documentary about how much setting up a goal meant to you as a winger. Do, is that something that, that, that you feel maybe wingers these days, or well, I suppose there's not really wingers in the, the same form, but forwards these days don't really appreciate as much the art of setting someone up for a goal? Well, back in my day, you know, you had five forwards, don't forget, Callum. You know, you're two wingers, two inside forwards, and you centre forward. And your wingers, oh, I spent most of my time getting uh, the chalk marks on my feet wide and beating full back and creating chances. Um, I mean, scoring a goal was great, but for me, making goals was just as great for me. Uh, and I know that's been said, uh, I don't know, probably made between a thousand, two thousand goals for other people. And uh, I, I love doing that. In fact, you know, the one, that I created for Joe Jordan that took Scotland to the World Cup. That was a phenomenal feeling, you know, just creating a goal, uh, not having scored, but creating it. So the feeling for me with just creating stuff was, was, was great. Michael Kieran's big friend of the show, as we both know, has got in touch to ask, did Willie ever play at Recreation Park in Alloa before heading to Burnley? Yeah. No, but I, I climbed over the fence many, many times <laughs> to watch them because we couldn't afford, we couldn't afford, I think it was, I don't know, threepence or sixpence to get in. We couldn't afford to get in. So at the, at the back of the wrecks, we called it the wrecks. Um, we used to walk down from Socky and there was a bit at the back uh, where the railway line was and you could, just get over. It was like corrugated, it was corrugated fencing back then. And there was a bit where we could get over. So we used to, I've climbed over many times. And uh, I love watching Alawa. In fact, I watched John White, the, you know, the great John White, who ended up at Spurs, inside right, playing for Alawa. He played for Alawa. And Jimmy Wisher, and again, my, I'm going back in the 50s. He was a centre-half, and he used to pull his pants right up, a big, rough old guy, uh, wish it. Uh, I don't remember the rest of them. But no, I never played there. Um, I said my ambition was to play for Socky. That was my ambition when I was a school lad. And uh, obviously didn't play for them either. So no, but I, I spent many times in the wreck free of charge. <laughs> I hope they're not going to send me a bill now. Well, you never know. They might need a new set of floodlights, Willie. So <laughs> I expect that to be on its way to you. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway. <laughs> um, Steve Johnson's got in touch. And it's an interesting question, this one from Steve. Quite different to the questions we normally get in, Willie. Um, yeah. when, when you were playing, um, the lower divisions in England were regionalised. And Steve's question is... Do you think the Football League in England can maintain its present setup where it's not regionalised, you can have Bolton playing teams in London, for instance, or do you think it should go back to being regionalised and, and, and having teams in a set area playing against each other to reduce costs? 
Uh, well, it, I mean, it's down, it's down to expense, Steve, uh, for the clubs. You know, a lot of the clubs went through a lot of hardship. Um, I, I think that the old leagues were great and they should have stayed like that because it created a lot of great players come from the, the bottom divisions come through and, and made it into the old first division. Um, it, it, it's difficult. I don't know. It's probably down to expense, as I said. And I, without knowing all the finances of the clubs and how much it costs to travel and do you have to go and stay overnight? I mean, they don't want to be sending the second team or the third team. I mean, I played, I started off at Burnley playing in the fifth team, Steve. And of course, they were local, they were local matches. So, you know, no overnight stays anywhere. But people at Accrington, Burnley, Blackpool, all, all travelling distance on a Saturday morning. So, I, I, I don't know the answer to it because I don't know the club's finances. Well, it's an interesting debate and it's one that I'm sure will be had mm. as the, the year goes on. Before we go to some more questions, a comment from John Bleasdale. I know John personally, and and, and this is something that, that interests me. Um, and I think a, f a few people maybe feel this too. John comments saying that, I loved watching Willie as a footballer. He was a great player, but I never knew what he would be like as a character. But from listening to the show, I love his honesty and I love the fact that regardless of the question, he will take the time to answer it. So there you go. A lovely comment from John. Thanks, John. Um, it's only because Callum's such a good interviewer. You know, without Callum, I, I couldn't do this. Callum's brilliant. He, he helps me. He helps me through this. And uh, but for him, I wouldn't be doing it. I must, I must be honest. Uh, well, I'm always I'm honest as I can be. Always honest in the answers, as, as much as I can be. Maybe not always right, but always honest. <laughs> I'm worried about this next question, Willie. Not because of the content of the question, but I know this pe another person who I know personally, and he lives in Aberdeen, Willie. So <laughs> it's, do <laughs> it's Dr. Grant Campbell. Just uh, me back. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Grant wants to know um, there's a young lad at the moment called Ethan Gilbraith he's been capped for, for Northern Ireland he's in the youth setup at Old Trafford many are touting him as someone who could break into the first team in the next year or two do you yeah. think he should be given a chance in midfield this season Willie? Oh Grant, I'd give Stevie Wonder a chance in midfield so I think Ethan yeah, without a doubt you know, I'd get rid of nearly all of the midfield that we've got at the moment, as you well know. My, my thoughts are there. Pogba, Matic, Fred. My, I, the only ones I'd keep, obviously, uh, the, the Spanish lad that we've got. The hair. And uh, McTominay. Yeah, I like it. You know, he, he's my nobby styles. You need somebody like him. In, in your midfield. Yeah, I'd have them. And then Ethan, I've not seen you play, so it's difficult to, to comment, but if you can create at all, you'd be better than what we're playing. So, uh, yes, 19 year old, he's a man. You know, I made my debut 18 way back then. And in those days, you, you weren't expected to make your debut. You're about 24, 25 year old. 
because of five teams. So every team had wingers. Every team had a winger. So you were five right wingers, five left wingers. So getting up, moving up the ladder took a long time normally. And I got in the team at 18. And, and if he's good enough, age is not age is not a problem. And at 19, he's a man anyway. So I would love to see him play now that you, you've mentioned him. I have heard his name, but I, um, I haven't seen him. So, but yeah, I'd give him a chance tomorrow. I'd give him, and I'm sure all he's looking at all, all these different situations. Maybe he's got to get rid of some, maybe he's got to play these players at the moment so he can sell them. You, you just don't know. Um, so yes, Grant, I hope, I hope the kid is good. Um, and I hope he, he comes into the team. And we could go on and win the league. You never know. Even after that result the other day, we should have won. Um, but yeah, give him a chance, without a doubt. From Ethan Gilbraith to, to Rod Stewart, um, Sean wants to know, was Rod Stewart any good at football? You know, he was. Um, Rod was a good player. Uh, he was on the book. I think it was Brentford he was on the books at, if I remember correctly. Um, and no, he's very good. Good in the ball, good. It's not long since he stopped playing. I mean, Rod's been playing for years and years and years and years. And he was very, very good. He would, I mean, if Rod was playing now, he'd be a superstar. Without a doubt, there was just such competition back in those days. There were so many, many, many good players. It was difficult to break through. Um, yes, and to, he is a good player. Uh, mind, I prefer him singing. I love, you know, to go to the, the, the shows and watch him. He's fantastic. He's a great entertainer and a great guy. A question from Paul English. He wants to know about Ian Ewer. Um, he, his opinion, Paul says, I think a lot of United fans didn't feel Wilf was getting the backing of the board with signings like Ian. What were your thoughts on him as a player and United signing him? Ian, uh, <laughs> um, obviously came from Arsenal, as you know, Paul, and... He didn't have the best times at Old Trafford. He, he did fit in very well. Um, he struggled. Uh, sadly, he struggled. So replacing Bill Fultz wasn't easy. Well, Bill Fultz was one of United's great uh, defenders. And Ian just didn't... You know, he struggled when he came, sadly, for anyone who comes. And uh, so, but he got every chance. It, it was nothing to do with not getting a chance. So, wherever you are, you know, I hope you're okay, though. Ashy wants to know, hardest defender to play against? Hardest defender to play against? There was none. <laughs> I, skinned, I skinned everybody. That's the confidence I love, Willie. Was there anyone at all that was maybe fierce or when they kicked you, by God, did it hurt? Oh, no, there was lots of... <laughs> there was lots that kicked me in and it did hurt. I mean, back then, fullbacks were big, ugly, 
and slow. Um, they would take everything. But you relied on your right half, i.e. back in the early days, Brian O'Neill, to give me the ball when the full wide, at least I had a yard before he would get to me, and then I could skin him. But if you ever got a 50-50, my God, you used to pick a seat in the stand, to put you in the stand, they were fierce. And then it changed late, uh, later on, uh, and I think it's uh, the two, two great fullbacks, um, Ray Wilson and Tony Dunn, were smaller and quicker. They were, they were the start of, of the, a different type of fullback. They were still, they were still defenders, you know, they, they weren't called wingbacks because they couldn't attack and they couldn't cross a ball, but they were still good defenders, but they were quicker. In the old days, the, the old fullbacks were, uh, were fierce. Uh, Ronnie Moran, Willie Bell, I mean, <laughs> the names. But now I was a young, precocious kid, you know, who just wanted to take the mickey. And, you know, sometimes I'd beat them two or three times. I'd beat them, come back and say, come on, have another go. And beat them again, say, you're useless. Come by, have another go. <laughs> but... You never wanted to get into a 50-50 or receive a ball when they were anywhere near you. I mean, the first guy ever really got me, and he wasn't a fullback, it was Mike England, who's a great friend of mine now, by the way. Mike was playing for Blackburn, and he was sent a half. And I was ripping. We were playing them at, I was at Burnley at the time. We were playing them at Blackburn, and it was at Christmas time. In the, you know, talking about the muddy pitches, it was thick mud. But I didn't have a spot on me because I was going past the floor about time and time. We were two and a lot. So I started, as I did, teasing them, taking the mickey, uh, doing all my little tricks and little chit-chat. I did a lot of chit-chat back then. And I remember dancing away, doing this in front of the floor. And he was frightened to, to, to tackle me because, you know, I'd go past him. And then all of a sudden, the geezer came charged over and took me the ball and everything up in the air. Uh, it was Mike England, who was the centre half. And he said, and I came down in the mud, full of mud, and he was on the floor, because he slid in and he was on the floor, so I chinned him. <laughs> I chinned him. And I got sent off. <laughs> I, got, I, never, I, I never tackled anybody in my life. Oh hit people and uh, that was my first sending off at Blackburn. i never forget, you know, Jim Finney was the referee and uh, it was the walk of shame because we were over on the other side of the pitch. I had to walk right across the pitch at Blackburn and uh, I got a slap on the head from Harry Potts, our manager. He coughed <laughs> me in the back of the head. He, Get up the tunnel. You're a disgrace. You're a disgrace. So, um, no, different, the fullbacks, they were hard, but they were, you know, they were hard, but not dirty. They didn't go over the top. Over the top is a nasty, they would kick you, you know, and you take it because you, you're there to tease them and, and take the mick, really, and make them look silly. So you took the punishment if they ever got near you and, and could get a tackling, but they didn't. They didn't go over the top. So it was a different type of game. 
yesterday's stars, which is a, an account on Twitter that um, posts lots of pictures of former Manchester United players and big Manchester United moments, has got in touch to, to ask the following. Um, what's the best game of football that you've ever been involved in? Oh, oh loads. Loads. Um, I remember at Burnley, it was uh, towards the end of the season, we were playing Spurs, and the great Spurs team back then. I think we beat them 7 0. Um, it was a great night. And of course, the night I scored my only hat trick at Old Trafford against QPR, who again we beat, I think it was 7 1 or something. Uh, Bestie scored two, Dennis scored two, Knight scored three. Uh, was a, a great night. But they'd been loads. I mean, I just loved playing. You know, it, it, it wasn't a job. It wasn't a job. It, it was, it was enjoying, you know, to get paid to play football was a bonus. You would have played for nothing. So uh, we just loved playing. It was a different lifestyle, different thing altogether. Perfect question to finish. So good you'd think I would have planned it, but it's from friend of the show, Lynn Cameron, and hello to you, Lynn. Thank you so much for your, your constant support. We, we really appreciate it. Lynn wants to know how you will be spending Hugmanay this year, as it's going to be totally different. And she also says, can I please wish Willie and his family a happy new year when it comes? Lynn, thank you. Um... Unfortunately, because of the situation now, it would just be Kay and I uh, probably on Zoom uh, to a few people. Um, but it would just be a quiet night watching Hogmanay from Scotland, as we, as we normally do anyway, bringing in New Year. And talking about that, Lynn, I'd also like to wish all, the, again, all the viewers, all the listeners, um, a very, very happy new year. Always good for everyone. And my family and friends, Callum and his family. I know his mum's there at the moment doing a lot of work. And uh, Mrs. McFadden, I hope you're not doing too much. Hope he's not a bad taskmaster. So, um, and you know, there's a guy, in fact, there's a few people down. I know that Phil, Steve, and Alan, who, and all the gang who are down in Reading, Berkshire, uh, all the Scots lads who work down there. Um, I hope they've got home for, for Hogmanay. And I know they listen to the show and, you know, I wish you lot all the very best for, for next year as well. And one more guy, Finbar Fury. Now, Callum, I don't know if you ever heard of Finbar Fury. You have? I have, yes. Really? I met Finbar Fury at Druid's Glen. I was playing in a charity golf thing. And he was doing the cover. He was fantastic. He was, he, was, he was playing the flute that night. And we, we had a drink afterwards. And uh, what, a, what a lovely man he was. And then, you know, I've not seen or heard anything for years. And, but I didn't know who he was at the time, to be honest. And now I've discovered him on YouTube again. Finbar, I don't know if you or any of your friends are, but if, they, if you are, believe me, you give me so many hours of happiness. Absolutely. 
And that's, that's what music's all about, isn't it, Willie? Oh, he's, he's fantastic. I, I say I watch him on YouTube and he's phenomenal talent, phenomenal talent. And uh, I just hope he's well. I, I don't know. Uh, I said it's years ago. Um, I can't remember how long ago, 15 years probably. I just hope he's well and uh, still making music. Absolutely. And, and I echo everything you've said. I wish every single listener and viewer a, a very happy new year. And I look forward to, to next year, Willie. Hopefully it's a, a positive okay. year for, for everyone. Hopefully it's a positive year for, for Manchester United and we can have some upbeat conversation about maybe a trophy being lifted by the club. Well, whatever, you know, I just, I think the main thing is that for the whole world to be better after this, the year we're having, it's been a nightmare for so many people. Just hope it's better for everyone. Here comes Willie Morgan.